This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning. Uh, Welcome. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey, and we're so excited that you are here with us on this holiday weekend. Thank you for being here, especially this morning. If you are new, we want to say welcome. Thank you for uh, coming and uh, being here. We know it's not easy to come into a new place and navigate yourself around, and so we just want to say we appreciate that so much. And whether you are new or you've been around many times before, I want to encourage everybody to reach into the seat back in front of them. You can find one of these Connect Cards. A Connect Card's a great way, especially if you're new, to introduce yourself to us. You put your address in there. We would love to send you a small thank you in the mail this week just for being here. Even if you've been around many times before, uh, the Connect Card is a great way for you to communicate prayer requests, uh, decisions that you've made, other things you want us to know. So we want to encourage you to take a moment today and do that for us. As the offerings bags go by at the end of our service, you can drop that Connect card in there, or uh, there are plenty of baskets kind of on the exits as you walk out today that you can turn those in. With all that shared, let me just pray for us and then we'll jump in. God, right now, we want to take a moment and we just want to thank you for your presence that is already here. God, we know that you are moving and working even now. You have been in this service this whole time. You have been with us this week. God, we just want to join in what you're doing. Help us to do that today, God. Open our minds and our hearts. Help us to be teachable today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, it's summertime. It's time to put the kids in the car. It's time to drive to that relative who lives a few states away to go to the ocean, the lake, wherever it is you go and go on vacation and just enjoy some time away, some time off. When I take a trip, when I go on vacation, I always have kind of a a last-minute checklist of what I think is the most important things. Some swim trunks, some sunglasses. I want to make sure I got my wallet. And I also want to make sure I got a book to read. And lastly, I want to make sure I have my phone. And I want that phone mostly because I want to make sure I get where I intend to go. I, like you, uh, when I head out, uh, especially to a new place, um, I fire up my phone and I put that destination in there and then I let the GPS kind of guide me where I need to go. Take this exit, head this direction, uh, go this far, and I trust that I will get there in the end. When I was a kid, we didn't have those things. We didn't have, we had phones, but they couldn't do those things, um, And uh, your parents, your parents would spend hours uh, staring at a map, staring at a map, trying to decide the best route. Should we go around the mountains this way? Should we go this way? Should we go through this city? Are we going to hit too much traffic? Is that a two-lane road or a four-lane highway? It was all of this kind of angst trying to figure out which way to go. 
And uh, so many times I got the task when we were on the road of holding the map and knowing where we were going and where we were and what uh, the next uh, turn was. Had to keep us on the right path. It was a job that was full of choices. Some of them were easy. Some of them were a little harder. I say all that because that's the way life is too. A day is made up of hundreds and hundreds of choices. Some of them are simple. They barely even register in our minds as choices. Others are more difficult. We've got to uh, spend a little more time and energy thinking about them. We kind of see their impact. People of Israel. God's chosen people. They go on a journey to a place that God promises will be the best vacation spot they have ever been to. And even more than that, he says, you know what? You're not just going to go for a week. You're not just going to go for a month. You're going to go and live there. My choicest spot. In the Bible, this is referred to as the promised land. But their journey like ours is full of choices. Full of choices on which direction to go, which spot to turn. And too often, Israel chooses not to follow God's direction. They choose to follow their own. Their hearts are full of pride and they get off course. Israel is about two-thirds of the way to the promised land. Two-thirds of the way there. They're, they're in the home stretch, right? And uh, they decide that they're going to send 12 spies. 12 spies out ahead of them before kind of the big crowd shows up to see if this promised land is really all it's cracked up to be. If it's really all that God has talked it up to be. And so these 12 spies, they go and they, they look at the land and they see, uh, the, they bring back some of the fruit and they talk about how big it is and how choice the land is. And everybody's excited about the land. But they also talk about the people. They're so big. They're so strong. They're so well fortified. There's so many of them. There's no way we can defeat these people. That's what 10 of the 12 spies come back saying. Everyone but Joshua and Caleb. The people of Israel, the the crowd, they hear this and they side with the 10. They say, you know what? We've come all this way. God's done all this for us, but we don't believe that God can really deliver this promised land to us. In fact, they get really frustrated. They say, Moses, why did you bring us all this way? They threatened to stone him. Moses. Moses goes to God and he asks for the forgiveness for Israel's foolishness. And God says this, I have forgiven them, but as surely as I live, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised. In the desert, your bodies will fall, every one of you, 20 years old or more, except Caleb and Joshua. That's from Numbers chapter 14. And then they wandered in the desert for 38 years. The book of Numbers 
or as it is called in Hebrew, in the wilderness, is a story of these wanderings. And it's the subject of our summer teaching series, The Wanderers. Let me pause here for a moment and make sure that we're all really clear on where we're at in kind of the history of what's going on in the Bible. God has chosen Israel as his own people. He's chosen Israel as his own people with this explicit purpose to uh, show so that they can show the rest of the world, the rest of the people, God's love and mercy and grace. He does this through Abraham. Abraham is going to have many sons and many descendants, but he has a favorite. His favorite is Joseph. And uh, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, they know that, uh, Ab- uh, that Joseph is Abraham's favorite and they despise him for it. They despise him so much. It drives them so crazy. They come up with this insane plot where they um, sell their brother into slavery. And then they tell his father, their father that he died. And so Joseph is carried off to Egypt is, as a slave, and he has this a crazy journey kind of up and down, up and down. But in the end, he ends up as number two in all of Egypt, only uh, below the Pharaoh. He's in control of everything. And a great famine sweeps in. And all the people uh, from around kind of Egypt are coming to Egypt because Joseph uh, and God, they understood this famine was coming. And so they've been storing up food and now they're making this uh, wonderful profits and and people are coming to them uh, to be saved. Some of the people that come are Joseph's brothers. He forgives them. He moves Joseph, his brothers, his fathers, all to Egypt, and they live there in kind of prosperity, and they just grow in number and wealth, and everything's good. Well, Joseph and that Pharaoh are alive. But eventually they are gone, and the new Pharaoh, he doesn't remember what God did for Egypt. He doesn't remember what uh, Joseph did for Egypt. And so he, all he sees is this group of people, this group of foreigners in his land that keep growing and growing and growing in wealth, in power, and in number. And he says, I'm afraid that if we don't do something now, these people, they're going to take over. And so he enslaves them. He enslaves them, and uh, then the people of Israel, they'll call out to God. They call out for deliverance, and God sends Moses. And through uh, some miracles, eventually the people of Israel are let go from the hands of the Egyptians. And they're on their way to the promised land, this place that God said, I will give you. That's where we pick up the story in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 starts out like this. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert, the wilderness of Sinai. On the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. And he said, Take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name one by one. 
As we get started here in kind of the book of Numbers, I want to give us just some general background, some information of, of where we're at in kind of the background of this book. The book of Numbers is kind of a strange book. It starts in the wilderness and it ends in the wilderness. Geographically, they don't move very far. They do a lot of traveling, a lot of circling around, but they kind of start back at the place they started or they end at the place they started. Israel is on the brink of the promised land. They're right on the edge when we start chapter one, but they lack the faith to follow God in. They listen to the 10 spies who are afraid, and so they're turned back into the desert and they wander. The book of Numbers ends with Israel on the brink of the promised land again. They got another chance, another shot, another chance to follow where God is leading them. In between, there are 36 chapters covering some 38 years of wandering kind of aimlessly in the desert. If you look at it very kind of simplistically, the book of Numbers, it gets kind of broken down into two distinct uh, generations. Each generation starts out with a census being taken. That's what's happening in, in chapter 1, verse 1, as where we started today. The first generation, is in the beginning, uh, the first 25 chapters, is a story of unbelief. It's a story of doubt, of rebellion, of despair, of death. It shows us what happens when we refuse to place our God ourselves under God's guidance. And we say, you know what? We know better. We want to go our own way and the destruction it leads to. Second generation, the next generation in the kind of the last half of the book of Numbers is a story about a generation that becomes concerned all of a sudden that their descendants, their children would have a part of this promised even when they weren't there yet. In other words, they started to show faith. So the people of God started to act like the people of God should. And they put their faith in the promises that their children had been given. So kind of in very broad strokes, the book of Numbers gets kind of divided into two halves, two generations, a generation of unbelief, and a generation of faith. People of Israel, the first generation, on their journey, they didn't have the faith to follow God into the promised land. They, they gave up. And when they were turned back into the desert, when they turned back away from God and into the desert to wander, they were full of bitterness. They were full of doubt. They were full of complaining. In the wilderness, they face this constant temptation. This constant temptation to believe that they would never really get there. They would never really get to this land that God had promised them. It wouldn't ever happen for them. God wouldn't really give it to them or their descendants. All they could see, all they could see around them with their eyes was the barrenness of the sand. 
All they could hear was the howling of the wasteland around them. All they could taste on their tongues was hunger and thirst. Life in this period must have seemed just like a succession of unrelated and random events that were getting them nowhere. They knew they were supposed to be headed someplace, but they they were on the edge and now they were turned back around and now they're just wandering and lost. For 38 years, they just felt their lives kind of slipping away. Sometimes that's how life feels for us. Our lives often appear chaotic, sometimes random. We go to work, we uh, go to bed, we get up, we do it all over again. And there's never quite enough. There's never quite enough time to do everything we want, to make all the commitments we want to make. There's never enough money to kind of pay for everything, to do everything we want to do. There's never enough of us, of you, left over to give to those around you. Events, events that God could so easily kind of manipulate and uh, orchestrate to make your life go straight forward, for it to have kind of a linear path, become tangled, twisted, and we're left wondering why. Welcome to the plot line of the book of Numbers. That's how the people of Israel felt as they wandered in the desert. With their doubts and their pride that kind of led them to believe. Led them to believe that they knew better. Better than God. We have to learn from their mistakes. We have to learn from the choices that they made, the choices that we have made. We have to understand that God is writing a grand narrative. And we might not always understand it, but we have to believe. Believe that it is coming out in the end for his good. That's what it means to live by faith to affirm the reality of God's direction on our lives, even when we can't quite see it. We have so much to learn this summer. So much to learn this summer from the book of Numbers. Not only because our lives can kind of get turned and twisted and confusing, and they can But we have so much to learn from the book of Numbers because we so often act just like the Israelites did. We get this idea in our minds, in our hearts, that we know better. Pride creeps in. We decide that we know better than the creator of the universe. We decide we know better than our Savior and Lord. So we go our own way, and we get lost and turned around, and the path only leads to despair. That's what the first generation found out in the book of Numbers. 
As we begin to kind of wrestle what to do with just the very opening chapter in this book. The problem that Israel faced in the desert wasn't so much the obstacles. It wasn't so much the things around them. It wasn't even their enemies. It was this idea of pride that crept into their hearts. This idea that even though God had gone through all of these things, delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians and carrying them through the desert, they come up here to the promised land and all of a sudden they decide, you know what? We don't think that we can defeat these, uh, these people that are here in the promised land. And they're right, they can't do it, but they forget that God is with them. They give up. They turn around they wander. The problem they faced is the pride they had in their heart. They thought they knew better than God. So we kind of wrestle with what to do. I want to talk about some of the problems of pride today. The problems of pride. I have three for us as we kind of think about what to do. The first is That pride lures us into living independently of God. It pulls us out of where we know we should be. It kind of eggs us on. Psalms 10 verse 11 says, The wicked say to themselves, God isn't watching. He won't see this. He'll never notice. Say that sometimes to yourselves. A proud person. They have no room in their heart, in their life to trust God. Because they don't trust anyone but themselves. There's this incompatibility. This incompatibility in our heart between uh, pride existing there and God being there too. God won't share our heart. We have to ask. We have to ask God to search our hearts, to find those places of pride and to just expel it, to push it out, to get rid of it. Second problem of pride is that pride undermines our faith. Pride undermines our faith. Mark chapter 6, verse 5 says, Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except place a few hands on a few sick people and heal them. Jesus was in Nazareth. And he couldn't, uh, he couldn't heal the people. He couldn't do the things that he wanted to do amongst these people because of their unbelief and because of their pride. Have you ever stopped to think? Have you ever stopped to think that maybe your pride is preventing God from doing what he really wants to do in your life? It's a humbling thought. It's certainly what happens in Nazareth in Mark chapter 6. If you want to make sure it's not happening in your life, maybe today what you need to do is you need to take a moment. Think about the last week. Ask yourself, where were those places where pride kind of really bubbled up in my heart, in my life? 
Ask yourself, how teachable was I this last week? That kind of have an attitude where I went through life thinking I had it all together, I knew all the answers, or did I depend on God? Did I depend on kind of uh, wisdom outside of me to make decisions, to decide the path that my day would take, my week would take, my life would take? Finally, number three, pride can cut us off from God and others. Luke chapter 18, verse 14 says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For the proud, listen, for the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be honored. These are Jesus' words there. Jesus is uh, telling a, a parable. He's teaching some people in, in Luke chapter 18. And in verse 9, the, how he describes this crowd that he's talking to, he says, I'm talking to these people who have confidence in themselves. He's telling the story of a Pharisee who uh, goes to, to pray, and it's common to pray out loud. And essentially, the Pharisee, he is going, and he's saying, I'm so good, I am so good, I do all of these things right, I do all of these things right, and everybody is listening to him. And then there's a tax collector who comes in, he is kind of hiding in the corner, he's ashamed, and he kind of keeps his head down in this low posture, and he says, I've messed life up so bad, I have sinned, God have mercy on me. And Jesus says, it's the tax collector who went home redeemed that day. The Pharisee was the one that everybody looked up to, everybody thought, had it all together, But Jesus says it's the tax collector who was forgiven. Jesus looked at the situation differently than we do. A verse. A verse reminds me that we can polish up life sometimes with pride. We can polish up life and we um, we can impress some people around us. But we never fool God with polish. He sees straight through to our heart. He sees straight through to our heart. And if we don't want to be cut off from God, we must hold up this virtue of humbleness. If we don't want to be cut off from the people around us, we have to hold up this virtue of humbleness in our heart and in our life. Daniel's going to come and he's going to play a last song for us. And I'm going to pray. Dear God, you give us the story. The story that in some ways is familiar, but we're looking at it in a book that we don't look at all that often. A book that talks about just this period of wandering. This period of being lost and confused, and we see what happens when our hearts get full of pride. We see how it cuts us off from you. We see how it cuts us off from other people. We see how it destroys relationships. We see how it, it steals your glory away. We see, God, how you refuse 
chair pride in the place that you rightfully deserve to be in a heart. God, this story is a reminder. A reminder of what it looks like when we say again and again in our life, you know what? We know better. We stop following where you're leading. We stop going to you for direction, God. We stop turning to your word and saying, you know what? I I need need, um, direction in my life. I need guidance to know how to navigate this relationship at work, how to handle this problem at home, how to do all of these different things. God, I need help. That's the posture of humbleness. That's what you want developed in our heart, in our life. So many times we skip by that and we just say, you know what? I know what to do. We choose our own path and we find ourselves in trouble. God, if that's our story today. We just collectively want to say that we're sorry. That we don't want to be choosing our own path and going our own way and having pride kind of build up in our heart again and again. God, we want to be people who are dependent on you. People who know that we need you. We want to be people who believe that you're writing a grand story in the world. You're writing a grand story in our life. And while we might not understand every piece and every part and every detail and why this happened here and why that happened there, but God, we believe and we trust that the ending is for your Help us to do that today, Lord. Make us humble in our hearts. Make us understand how desperately we need you. In your name we pray. Amen.